Hello and welcome back to Miss Macintosh, my darling, the commentary. We are on chapter 75. Um, I did a lot of work. I'm still doing work on my, uh, um, on volume three. And um, I kind of am more, I, I had, I'm still moving stuff around and, and adding stuff. And at first I was going to split everything up, but now a lot of it falls under philosophy. So that's just going to be a huge section. I've just resigned myself to that fact and dumped a bunch of stuff there. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've kind of gone through on some of it and been more clear into how, as to how I think it fits in to the novel. Um, some stuff in symbolism is repeated in under the philosophy part. And so I might chop that up. I might... Um, do something different, make like a shorter synopsis and say, well, this is explored more in depth in the philosophy part. So I think I'm going to do that. Um, but it also looks like I might finish this thing within the next week or so. Like I might be done by the end of October, first week of November. So if that happens, I'm going to be really happy. And then, uh, we'll move from the podcast of finishing, uh, volume two and roll right into doing volume three um and edit it and then i'll be able to um and then i'll be able to publish it like volume two will be published and then volume three will be published and then i can make all three volumes free uh come january which will be cool so i'm kind of excited i i think the changes are good there's some stuff that i dropped um, because I feel this was mostly a philosophical book and it's, it's looking at that. She might have pulled stuff from the Bible, but philosophical, it's, it's a philosophy novel. It, it really is taking these tabloid stories and are in the real world, basically. Tabloid stories in the real world and adding this layer of philosophy, this sort of, which is just so cool, adding this like academic, higher enlightenment thinking philosophy, hoity-toity stuff, and then throwing into it that will be yeah, but here we are in, you know, the real world. Here we are in the world of strange crap happens. And, um, and seeing if, you know, somebody can, can uh, uh, make sense out of it. If Vera can make sense out of it specifically. Oh, I also learned that she really liked William James. James's large work, which has been synthesized down to about four handful of concepts. But his original work was 1,200 pages long. So that is very intriguing to me because Miss Macintosh's work is also 1200 pages long so and i know that she really emphasized james as an inspiration to her william james is inspiration henry james too but uh william james is an inspiration so i thought that was a nice parallel uh between james and young anyway still yeah lots of fascinating stuff i don't know that i've well i don't, I don't know well uh, Volume three, talking about it might take longer. Podcasts might take longer because of um, fleshing out some stuff, some arguments, or, or how the philosophy relates to the book, uh, Ms. McIntosh, My Darling. So I, that, that, to me, seems to be the, um, the real sticky point that I need to, to flesh that out. Okay, chapter 75, I believe, is shorter, but it is also the most disturbing, probably, um, chapter 75, character list, Esther Longtree, Vera Cartwheel, Fisherman, uh, Mud Baby, and Tall Child. 
Synopsis, Esther tells disturbing stories of incest, rape, killing or giving birth to children and disposing of their bodies. As from the first description of Esther, she does appear to be mentally ill or very traumatized. Paragraph 1, Vera sat listening to Esther's tale of woe over one day or many days because she was wrapped in mournful memories. Esther interrupted her exclaiming, woe, woe, but nothing could tether grief. Two, Esther continued talking and pondered upon difficult questions, some legal, some illegal, often was raped when there was no one present but a ghostly, mean, mean child. She could not always blame men for her disappointments, sometimes she blamed the child. Children ruined her body and her raped, wounded sky, the whole world. She thought about this when she had given birth to nothing, for otherwise she was happy, growing, swelling like a face under water. Water imagery is used throughout the book and I, it'll it'll come up in the philosophy in volume three um come on let's see and appears to oh hold on Mainly because I can't remember the philosopher's name. Okay, so I changed it to water imagery is used throughout the book and appears to be influenced by the philosophy of the base matter of the world is water. I believe it's, what did I say, Thallus of Millennia? Something like that. Um, three, Esther would have nothing to complain about if people left her alone because she was going to be a mother. She then admits it might be a tumor that sapped everything from her. She wanted to be a mother, though. She would feel as if she were on the verge of something big, but maybe she would sometimes realize it was only a benign tumor and not a conscience. Maybe it was only the past spreading its fingers. It could have been the future, too, and that was different. She was afraid of vomiting it up and doubted it was a tumor because she could feel her conscience and the little shadow boxer in his watery gra grave floating. For Esther, doubt Esther doubts... Esther's doubts passed after a short time and then returned again. She couldn't tell anyone her secret. She had faith and nothing could discourage her and she would be pregnant if it was true. She had faith even though the Chicago detective had raped her and left her to face the disgrace. She had had to get even with him by telling him that he was going to be a father when of course it was already dead. Esther told him because she wanted to deceive him and herself. The Chicago detective should have been loving and should have asked her questions as to her health and age. She was upset by his indifference to the mystery for something in her had yearned to be questioned by him, to be dragged forth even though she herself would have been silent and answered no questions. Something in her had yearned to express itself in spite of her, to tell all, to bear witness. Something inside of her had wanted to be brought to trial. I keep spelling it as trail. So it could be a witness, some older fetus or some older child, black as a blackbird. It had wanted to tell on her. Esther had resisted and not borne witness against herself, for it would have been illegal to do so, and her own father was the policeman. This may refer to the Fifth Amendment in the United States. 
where pleading the fifth is often used to invoke the self-incrimination clause when witnesses decline to answer questions where the answers might incriminate them. Five, Esther made sure to stay quiet while giving birth, but a fisherman heard her once and came running to see what was wrong. Esther was down on her knees, red-faced, dry-eyed, screaming for help, beating the child in her womb long, long ago when she was young and frightened, her mind not set and tremulous and undecided. Esther continues the description of beating the child to mush. The fisherman who found her... Helped her to uh, helped her get rid of the dead child, something so indefinitely hers, yet stubborn as she was, something so small and frail and lonely. Its fist clenched as if to ward off another blow when there was no enemy, not even life, when there was only the weeping mother who could not be responsible for this miscarriage. There was blood upon the child's face. She was afraid the child would say something. The fisherman didn't speak about it or show any sign of remembering the instant incident, which made Esther act as if nothing had happened. At the time, the fisherman thought he was dreaming or had a sunstroke because right when he heard Esther, he swore he saw another stillborn that looked just like this, just like this one, just like Esther, floating in the water, or it had looked like a gunny sack and bundle of leaves. A red geranium may refer to St. Robert's geranium, wild geranium, red robin, and old maid's nightcap. The folk folklore around this flower is that it could fulfill a couple's wish for children, the legend of the stork delivering the babies. The herb was worn as an amulet or placed under the bed to signal to the spirits a desire for a child. Esther had wanted to bury it right there in the mud, and the fisherman had wanted to put it in the water with the other one. They had wrapped it in a gunny sack. They had thrown the stillborn into the river above the dam where the current was rapid, the water turning to foam, and she had not worried for fear of seeing it again and had not supposed it could be used as a witness or something, and had supposed she was free of it and that she could ask it no questions. The turmoil of the experience had permitted oblivion and other pregnancies. Esther imagined it floated all the way out to the Gulf of Mexico or that it was eaten. No mention of it ever came out. Nothing was brought to light that had been hidden. Only she would have recognized it anyhow, so she had been safe and her conscience clear about this baby, whom she had forced to be born because it was already dead and heavy inside. I'm going to shorten something up. Shoot. Six, Esther had forgotten about the incident because of everything else that was happening to her. She had gotten used to these losses finally. She didn't know who the father was. That stillborn was different in that it did not come back to haunt her like the rest. It just faded out of her mind completely for years. Yet after so many years, it started coming again, slow, slow. Nothing could stop it. Nothing, nothing, nothing she could do. Seven, Esther could understand why it haunted her and not the father. Sometimes it was a mud baby, and sometimes it was a seed that swelled into a star, and it was everywhere in the darkness, and it was ugly, and it was beautiful, and it was growing even in death. Esther dreamed that the river where they disposed of the child flooded, burying this dead baby upon the flood, and the dead baby was hers, but when she would awaken, always when she would awaken, there would be no flood. She would not know how it could have happened, and yet this dead baby who had grown would come floating back to her in the roar of dreams, always the same, always different, teasing and tormenting her with uncertainty, confusing her in her maternal pride, for it was bigger in death than it had been in life, and it was all covered with mud, a mud baby. 
Sometimes it was walking, other times it wasn't. Sometimes it whistled like her father, the policeman. Mud Baby may refer to Tar Baby in the second of the Uncle Remus stories published in 1881. It is about a doll made of tar and turpentine used by the villainous Briar Fox to entrap Briar Rabbit. The more the Briar Rabbit fights the Tar Baby, the more entangled he becomes. The term Tar Baby was, has come to refer to a problem that is ex exacerbated by attempts to struggle with it or by extension to a situation in which mere contact can lead to becoming inextricably involved. Although the term Tar Baby is documented as coming from a folktale of African origin, its modern meaning in America is different. Many consider Tar Baby to be a racial term for African Americans. 8. Esther sometimes imagines the baby in a coffin on the waters. It was naked and a funeral wreath covered its male organs. So she could tell that it belonged to her and it was the policeman's son and her father was the father. And she was afraid for it seemed to be the only one giving the lie to all the others. And she could not imagine how her father could have been the father. How could her father be the father? It must have been true in her dreams for no one else but herself and her father had such big feet as this little policeman. Though sometimes, of course, all would change and it would seem to be hanging from her. Esther said at this point she couldn't move so she would fall asleep. If only she could be sure it was not her imagination. 9. Esther would try to touch the child, but he floated away and she was alone. No sign but a tear of hers, and her tears were her children. She would wake up crying. She had no way of knowing which of her children were real, and all she hoped was that her parents did not find her out, for they were on their honeymoon. 10. Esther describes her routine. It sounds like someone mentally ill in the institution, afraid of being seen by her mother through the keyhole. Esther would sleep again or try to nuzzle her own breasts, nurse her right hand, walk back and forth. There was a tall child who was alive that came to her window and whistled. He called for her and was hungry but wouldn't eat even though she left food out for him. Her mother got mad at Esther for doing this, for her mother did not know that she was trying to attract her eldest son, her little boy who would not come in out of the darkness, who would not eat, who said he did not trust his mother, but she would try just the same. 11. Since Esther was a waitress, she was always feeding someone. If only her plans and dreams would now be realized. She would not quarrel with what was past, so that was why she did not wish to face the jury. Something had always been wrong and incomplete, even when she was a child, mean and ugly and awkward. Nothing had been washed away. Since she said something was wrong with her, she wondered if old evidence instead of new evidence had been found. No one but herself would know exactly where the other children were hidden, and she was safe perhaps, and she was not safe perhaps. But she had been kind to the little shadow boxer, him not yet born. Esther could feel him even if she couldn't touch him. She would never touch him. She was the pole, she guessed, the north, the south, but she kept away from the poles, and she ate geraniums and paper and string, and she teased the salesman, and she loved her father from a distance, even though he was the night policeman and separated couples. He trusted her. He took her part in every argument with her mother, whose temper was not always even, whose little hands had stung like nettles upon her cheeks when she was young and stubborn as a mule in the mud. 12. Vera asked, Who was the father of the little shadow boxer? Esther said it had been placed in her body long ago, that it could have been placed there by any number of the dying fathers. Her inaccuracies were beautiful to her, for without them what would she be? Esther would fight them even if they came for her. Esther thought she would be fine if she did not have to go to trial because of the old miscarriage, and if she did not have a new miscarriage. She hoped she would forget everything when she was a mother. She would not be like her mother, remembering everything. She would be grateful and proud and silent and would make no explanations that would not be satisfactory. 
As it was, it seemed unfair that she should have had so many miscarriages, and the only way she could justify them was to think that she would still have carriage. In other words, why should she have the miscarriages, the misconceived, the misbegotten all, all the time, while other women had the carriages? Esther, unlike other women, had almost nothing to show for her struggle. If she could get through one pregnancy, everything would be fine. She regretted writing the letter to the Chicago detective. She imagined she gave birth to a little detective. But what if, in her great distress, she had forgotten to cut the umbilical cord? Then what? What What evidence was attached to her? Perhaps it was something joyous attached to her, pulling at her umbilical cord. She thought of herself as a maypole with happy children dancing around her. A maypole is a tall wooden pole erected as a part of various European folk festivals around which a maypole dance often takes place. The festivals may occur on in May or Pentecost. Although in some countries it is instead erected at midsummer. The only anguish would be the anguish of knowing entirely what was so. 13 Esther preferred uncertainty. Sometimes Esther thought the Chicago detective's children had lived, and if she couldn't show him, he would try to prove she killed them. Corpses derelicti does not have a reference. Even with corpses derelict, there is a definition for derelict meaning to abandon. Esther wrote contradicting letters to the Chicago detective, so it was her fault this misunderstanding which could not be cleared up in the courtroom which would only get worse no matter how her trial went. She admitted she would be making faces at everyone there and all the fathers who were sterile. Fortinus describes herself as stubborn and mulish. She would not explain herself, and they could draw their own conclusions, and they would accuse her of having done away with all the other children who would be invisible. She really could not be bothered by these little details so irksome. She finds out from the Chicago detective that he is married and both are sterile. Fifteen Esther could have laughed it away if her past wasn't complicated by other children and other fathers. She was worried about not producing the three children for the Chicago detective because they would go around looking all over for them. What if they found another murder and blamed it on her? She did not care about the Chicago detective's marriage. She was the deserted woman. He had deserted her. He had left her like an empty house. He had not asked her any questions. Now he wanted to prove that she had murdered his children. 16. Esther thought she could have bluffed her way through if it was just this one instance, but there had been so many other mysteries, and this was what brought them all together. She thought that if she had, was made pregnant once by a man, she was always burying his children ever afterward, and that was why it had been so monotonous for several years when things were almost right, but entirely wrong. 17. Esther didn't worry because this pregnancy was very advanced and she hadn't had any other miscarriages. No worries, no worries of her own in the world of this creation. It was the world of this creation that was wrong, Dr. Dr. O'Leary said. Oh, I think that's his quote. Not hers. So she was happier than she had ever been. If only the detective did not come poking around here again looking for proof for evidence to produce against her. Last paragraph, 18. Esther couldn't understand why anyone would to would bother a poor creature like her. Especially when there was going to be another war soon, killing all the men and some of the children, and one or two old murders should not have mattered so much, especially if it was nothing murdered. This may refer 
This war may refer to the Vietnam War, which was a conflict in Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia from November 1955 to the fall of Saigon in April 1975. After the French military withdrawal from Indochina in 1954, the U.S. assumed financial military support for the South Vietnamese state. Civilian to combat ratio for major conflicts is 50% or higher for civilians. Most affected are women and children. And I'm wondering if... Okay, so let's say there is abortion, baby killing. Let's say that all of this, this is one woman, because this argument has been made, it's, it's men that can impregnate multiple women all at the same time. Like a, a woman can only bear one child every nine months. She can only get pre- pretty much once a year um, with one child. So even if women were having abortions and or infanticide or all the abort well let's say abortions so even if women are having all these abortions it kind of seems like Esther's taking taking the point of why are you worried about like the one child that I can kill when men have developed ways to kill hundreds of thousands millions millions of people men women children they've they've developed this way and so why is this preoccupation with the one child that I can that I have or don't have Anyways, it kind of seems like that. I just threw that in there. Um, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm gonna go work on that volume three. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I'm, I'm. It's nice when I'm working on it, and then I figure out, oh, I'm a lot further along than I thought I was, or something clicks and about how to organize it, because that's the roughest part. There's just so much material to work with, and she really did take from across. the spectrum of philosophy that was available to her at the time that she was studying and over the 18 years that she wrote about the wrote this book so great excuse me uh great stuff beautiful day out the kitty's outside enjoying it with me and so i might enjoy it a little bit longer rather than go tie myself to a desk and computer (laughs) all right thank you so much for listening have a great weekend bye